see my Savior's hands. The title says it all. Pastor Will Whedon, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, See My Savior's Hands. In pictures and words, we follow Jesus' story by watching his hands, from childhood to his baptism, from his healings and miracles all the way to the cross, from his resurrection to his ascension. We'll see that his hands are always active at work to bring us blessing. Learn more and purchase See My Savior's Hands, a book for children ages 4 through 7 at issuesetc.org. When they come in there, it is with one plan for this woman, and the plan is that they get an abortion. We would censor magazines. We would go through and we would cut out pictures of babies, pictures of diapers. Whatever our group, whether male or female, Jew or Greek, again, all those categories have become so important again today. It doesn't matter when you've been baptized into Christ. He gives us a different identity. He'll give you what you need. It's it's an eternal peace. It's in Him. And He absolutely will give you what you need each day. Pray to Him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my peace. Dear Lord, let your holy angel be with me. That the evil foe may have no power over me. I commend myself, my body, and soul. Amen. Hi, this is Mark in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and fathers watching their four-month-old daughters love listening to Issues Etc. The Christian faith is an historical faith. That means not only that it is of historical significance, quite obviously, but it is also a faith that is grounded on events that actually occurred. And so history is important to Christians, very important to Christians. We ought to know history in general and our history in particular. One of the biggest events in Christian history is the Reformation. There's no doubt about that. We're studying a document from the Reformation, the last document from the Lutheran Reformation, the solid declaration of the formula of Concord, but is it more than just of historical note? Is it more than just a recording of what they thought back then, what they believed back then, what they considered important back then? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Friday afternoon, March the 13th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll begin today's show continuing our series with Pastor Paul McCain on the Lutheran Confessions. Then we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, talking with Dr. Carl Fikencher about peace with God through faith in Romans chapter 5. Joining us for our series on the Lutheran Confessions today, the preface and the summary rule and norm of the solid declaration of the formula of Concord, Pastor Paul McCain, publisher and executive director of editorial for Concordia Publishing House, based in St. Louis, general editor of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. Paul, welcome back. Todd, good to be with you again. This document that we're looking at, the solid declaration, how do you respond to someone who says it's it's really more of a recording of what they believed and thought and were convicted to then more than a prescription as to what we ought to believe and confess. I would say we hear the same thing about the Bible, don't we? That, well, it was true for them, and as long as we stick with the general principles, we're okay. But as for all those details in the scriptures, you know, about issues of morality and homosexuality and miracles and all that, well, that's not necessarily so. So it's an appealing argument to those who simply do not want 
to accept the fact that A, there is truth, B, that the truth can be known, C, once known, it must be confessed and confessed purely. It kind of reminds me of the joke about the airline pilot who came on the speaker system. There was a transatlantic flight, and he came on the speaker system and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I've got some good news and bad news. The bad news is uh, we're lost, but the good news is we're making great time. So you can be headed somewhere in a real hurry and have no idea where you're going, and that's what happens when we refuse to be guided by the inspired and errant scriptures and by the Lutheran confessions, which claim to be nothing more and nothing less than a pure exposition and explanation of what God's Word teaches. So they begin with the preface, why, why is it important that we take note of what the authors of the Formula of Concord thought was important to say before they got to the doctrinal content? Yeah, I've always really enjoyed the preface of the Formula of Concord and the rule and norm of the Solid Declaration. Such a clear articulation of what's going on here. And it's pretty easy to boil it down. What They begin by saying in paragraph 1, if you're using the Concordia edition, second edition, it's page 505. First of all, they simply summarize the fact that, and again, this is the year 1577, uh, 1577 the Augsburg Confession was presented in 1530. And at that time, the main concern was, as they put it, to clear through the horrible cloud of human teachings that had obscured the chief articles of our Christian religion, as they put it, and they give credit to Martin Luther. It's interesting, if you look at Dr. Luther's name in the Formula of Concord, I've made a point of circling it, how often they refer to him in the various descriptors. Here, they first refer to Dr. Luther of blessed and holy memory. God used Luther to provide a pure reformation, so the word reformation is there. The reformation was burdened by unsupportable slanders and accusations, so that's why they had to present the Augsburg Confession. So having presented the Augsburg Confession, and they say that by the Augsburg Confession, quote, our churches are reformed in a Christian manner. So the irony is we can use the word reform to refer to our evangelical congregations, which today we know as Lutheran congregations. But the focus of the Augsburg Confession was specifically, as they say in paragraph 3, quote, on the articles in controversy between themselves, referring to the theologians of the Augsburg Confession, and the papists. So that was nailed down. But since that time, we last week we discussed how you could refer to the period after Luther's death from 1547 until 1577, which was when the Formula Concord was written and adopted as a confessional standard. That 30 years was a time of warfare between various Lutheran theologians who claimed more or less to be the proper heirs of Luther or heirs of Melanchthon and so on and so forth. So they had to clarify a lot of controversies that had arisen in that in that 30-year period of time. What is the status of the Augsburg Confession to which they will refer regularly when putting together the Formula sure. of Concord? Yeah, the language, uh, you've really got to pay attention to the language that's used, and it's it's really interesting if you're able to take a look at the underlying German language, which was the language in which the formula was first written, later translated into Latin, and of course the Latin translation is also helpful. It adds things here and there by way of explanation. But the Augsburg Confession is described in this preface 
as a pure Christian symbol and something that would explain things, stand for the truth, be able to lay things out clearly as God's Word teaches. And it says that the Augsburg Confession is to be found alongside God's Word among true Christians. And it's interesting, the Latin here adds this thought, which pious hearts ought to receive next to the matchless authority of God's Word. So that's an interesting statement right there, and they all will expound upon the scriptural principle in the rule and norm. So the Oxford Confession is held in the highest regard, and they compare it simply to what the early church had to do in its doctrinal controversies, and the point being this is nothing new. It is nothing new whatsoever for a church to formulate a confession by which they seek to clarify what they believe and what they teach and what they confess, and consequently what must therefore be rejected and condemned, and we must expect anyone who wishes to be and remain a faithful servant in this church, a pastor or other some other kind of church worker, they must be pledged to these confessions because they are a pure exposition of God's Word. We'll get into that in a moment, that kind of confessional right. principle, but why is that word because so important? Well, it's very interesting. I was uh, struck as I was looking at this preface, you actually find, we'll just pop ahead a little bit, in the rule and norm section, it simply makes this assertion uh, about the Augsburg Confession. We confess it, and then the word, because it has been taken from God's word and well-founded firmly in the word of God. And the Latin there for because is the word quia. And to this day, we refer to this. It's very important that uh, lay people and everybody know that our pastors are not taking a conditioned promise to be faithful. In other words, if I say, well, I agree with this insofar as it's in agreement with the Word of God. I could very easily pledge myself to the Quran with that kind of qualifier. Just think about it for a minute. I accept and believe and teach and confess the Quran insofar as it agrees with the Holy Scriptures. When you think about it like that, you realize how weak that kind of a confessional position is. Well, I'm going to agree with it, but only insofar as it agrees with God's Word. Well, who decides that? It falls to the individual. Well, I don't buy that. No, rather we say we all accept this document, as they say in paragraph 5 on page 505, whether in this writing or in any other it is our plan not to withdraw in the least from that off-sided confession nor to propose another or new confession, referring to the Augsburg Confession. That's the spirit that animates the confessional principle in the Book of Concord, that if it's true then, it's true now, and it will always be true. So that to get back to your first question, this is just the way it is. We don't go with uncertain, you know, we don't head off on a journey with no idea where we're going. We are assured that we have a clear map that can be followed, and no matter what comes up, these confessions remain valid and true. I don't know if you're aware of this, and it, it is kind of ridiculous on the face of it, but there are those among, or at least who can't want to count themselves in the Lutheran Pale, who used this principle laid down here about the Augsburg Confession in the Formula of Concord to argue that really it's only the Augsburg Confession that Lutherans need to pledge themselves to. The rest of the confessions are just redundant. They don't say anything important or because they don't say anything different than the Augsburg Confession, they conclude they don't say anything more than the Augsburg Confession. 
And the only people I hear say that are the ones who do not like the formula of Concord because it gives them no wiggle room whatsoever when it comes to the errors it addresses, particularly on the Lord's Supper and fellowship in the Lord's Supper and issues like that. The only people who say such a silly thing are those who simply do not want to be bound to the rest of the Book of Concord. You know, Melanchthon changed the Augsburg Confession so many times that it reached, finally there was a point that John Calvin said, well, I can agree with that version of the Augsburg Confession. So I don't mean to be flip about it, but you just have to disregard those kinds of silly remarks. I was talking to a friend the other day, and I told him I was going to be uh, – starting this on the formula of Concord and how much I had really enjoyed really look, taking a close look at the language and looking at the vocabulary behind the English translations. And I said, you know, it really strikes me. The reason there are those who simply dislike the formula of Concord is because it gives you no excuse whatsoever for kind of, like I say, wiggling around the truths that are expressed in the Augsburg Confession. The formula of Concord is for those who want to be real, genuine Lutherans. There's no question about it. It takes all the fuzz off of any peach, and that was its purpose. They knew exactly what they were doing. They praised the Augsburg Confession, but then this preface explains why it's so important to include these other documents in the Book of Concord, and why the formula of Concord itself, by 1577, was so necessary. We're talking with Pastor Paul McCain, publisher and executive director of editorial for Concordia Publishing House and general editor of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, about the solid declaration of the formula of Concord. We're in the preface and the summary rule and norm today. Stay tuned. See my Savior's hands. The title says it all. Pastor Will Whedon, author of The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, See My Savior's Hands. In pictures and words, we follow Jesus' story by watching his hands, from childhood to his baptism, from his healings and miracles all the way to the cross, from his resurrection to his ascension. We'll see that his hands are always active at work to bring us blessing. Learn more and purchase See My Savior's Hands, a book for children ages 4 through 7 at issuesetc.org. If you're looking for a good Lutheran church in Scarsdale, New York, one that has sound teaching based on the Word of God and takes pride in the confessions, look no further than Trinity Lutheran Church in Scarsdale, New York, where every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. we have Bible study and Sunday school, followed by the service at 10 Again, good liturgical confessional worship by the grace of God. Find us at trinityscarsdale.org. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we're plowing on into Hebrews, destroying the one who has the power of death, Jesus better than Moses, as long as it is called today. There remains a Sabbath rest and the throne of grace. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. 
Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series on the Lutheran Confessions. Today we're in the preface and the summary rule and norm of the solid declaration of the formula of Concord. Pastor Paul McCain is our guest. Picking right up where you left off there before the break, they, they say this, it cannot be denied that some theologians have departed from some great and important articles of this confession. What are they talking about there? They are referring to the fact that, as we talked last week as a, for a broad overview, and when we talk about each of the individual articles, we will rehearse the specific history of why they had to address it. But after the death of Luther and the chaos that resulted in the failure of Philip Melanchthon to provide good leadership, there arose controversies where things that were latent, even during Luther's lifetime, kind of bubbled up to the surface, and some men who were teaching theology ran with bad ideas, and they started to speculate wrongly, and circumstances drove them to say things inappropriately, and then they there were controversies over issues, everything from, you know, what original sin to adiaphora in the church, things neither commanded nor forbidden, to free will, to what is it to have the righteousness of God, good works, on and on and on it goes. And at this point, the Confessions, uh, the Formula of Concord's preface, makes a very good distinction. They say, how do these things happen? Either people don't understand the true meaning of the articles. Okay, that's a very legitimate and rather kind assessment. There, you know, sometimes it just comes down to people simply don't understand the true meaning, and they can be corrected, and they'll accept that. Or they have not continued steadfastly in them. And that's a dangerous thing. People veer away from it and actually reject it. And here, the worst of the three situations they describe in paragraph six, it says, occasionally some even try to attach a foreign meaning to the confession. Now that's dangerous. People try to use these confessions, but give them a twist. Uh, later on in the Rule and Norm, they talk about situations that are merely matters of logomachy, and they actually use the Greek word there, logomachy, which means fighting about words. Just, it's not a matter of fighting about words. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about true, substantial, different teachings. One is right, one is wrong. So when you have all these three situations, there are some claiming to be followers of the Augsburg Confession, and they even boast about it. And they claim, paragraph 7, as a result, serious and harmful divisions have arisen in the pure evangelical churches from this. And, of course, they're using the word evangelical churches to refer to the congregations and the territories that have embraced the Augsburg Confession. So they introduce this idea that to some today seems ridiculous, the idea of pure teaching or pure doctrine. First yeah. of all, respond to this notion that is so very postmodern, but it sucks in even some Lutherans, too, that, you know, we, we have the best we can do, but we it's arrogant to call the teachings of the Lutheran Church pure doctrine. Yes, and again, it's not so much the teaching of the Lutheran Church, but the Lutheran Church 
confessing the pure doctrine revealed in Holy Scripture. And I'm not trying to correct you, Todd, I'm just, I know you agree with me on this, that some people would try to drive a wedge between, well, you've got your Lutheran opinions, and yeah, you can keep those all pure, but they're not necessarily what the Bible teaches. No, Lutherans have the audacity to say, no, 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 we're not proclaiming Lutheran doctrine, we are proclaiming the pure doctrine founded on God's holy word. In a moment we'll talk about, they describe the word as the pure fountain of Israel. But this phrase, pure doctrine, in the German is reine lehre. And the Missouri Synod forever, and particularly in its early years, was mocked for its constant use of the phrase reine lehre, pure teaching, reine lehre, pure teaching. You know, like you people are obsessed with doctrine, and pure doctrine, how is that even possible? But we are interested in that, and I have a little story I like to tell to try to help people understand what the big deal about this is, and uh, if you don't mind, I might share it right now. When the Lutheran Confessions talk about the pure word, the pure doctrine, why do we want pure doctrine? And playing off that phrase, as they describe the Bible, as a pure fountain of Israel, it always reminds me of in my first parish in Iowa, we arrived there and uh, we started drinking the water. We had a well, you know, with a pump, and we started drinking the water, and we noticed everybody in the family was coming down with stomach viruses and illnesses, and then uh, we were told, oh, yeah, the last pastor's family seemed like they were always sick. So I called out the county and had them test the water, and they came and tested it, and then the very next day, I was looking out my parsonage window, and I noticed a guy, you know, walking around the well, and he put a tag on it, a big red, <laughs> big red tag, and I walked out there and looked at it, I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, this water's contaminated, and he had put a big red tag on the well, and it said, unfit for human consumption. I'm like, oh, okay. So that was troubling. I wanted pure water. So what did I do? I went out and I bought an entire water treat, a little mini water treatment plant that was installed in the Parsonage basement. I mean, the water came in and it was chlorinated, it was purified, it was filtered, it was uh, softened. But I, I had to have pure water. So why would you settle for less than pure doctrine? If pure doctrine is so important, why would you settle for anything less? And why would you be blasé about whether or not you were receiving the pure doctrine? And again, important qualification here. We're not talking about quibbling over dumb issues like what color the carpet should be or is the pulpit on the left side of the church or the right side of the church or anything like that. Or, you know, must we all have the same precise form of liturgy in the divine service? Of course not. We're talking about matters of doctrine, matters of life and death. We want the pure gospel taught among us, and we have to resolve these disagreements. Getting back to our text, paragraph 9, it says here, the controversies that have happened are not mere misunderstandings or disputes about words, as are apt to occur, with one side failing to grasp the meaning of the other well enough, and the difficulty lying in simply a few words not of great importance. Now, that, those situations happen, and they're sad when they blow up. But the problem here is the controversial subjects are important and great. They are of such a nature, quote, get this, the opinion of the party in error cannot be tolerated in God's church, much less be excused or defended. The Missouri Synod used that very line from the formula of Concord when it set forth its rejection of the liberal theologian's teaching at its own seminary when in the statement of scriptural and confessional principles this phrase is used. 
this cannot be received in the in the church of god and that you know outraged some people how dare they say that well because we're dealing with matters of life and death and then they go on in paragraph 10 necessity requires us to explain these disputed articles according to god's word and approved writings so they want to make it very clear it sounds like two things in summary so far they're not going to introduce anything new into no new teachings are going to be here. They're completely in line with what was confessed already a half century before in the Augsburg Confession. And these new sections of the confession are absolutely necessary because salvation is at stake. Yes. If you go wrong on these doctrines, you jeopardize salvation. That's a that's probably a nice little litmus test to know, you know, where are those hills to die on? Here they are. You cannot compromise these things. This is the same spirit that animated the Augsburg Confession, that animated Luther's small called articles, and the formula acknowledges that. And so the formula itself is simply following this pattern of this is a non-negotiable. There is no compromise possible. And, of course, the great tragedy of liberal Lutheranism today is watching the church body called the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. They have literally compromised away every chief article of the Lutheran Confession. Doctrine of Justification, they compromised with Rome. Doctrine of the Lord's Supper, they compromised with all the Calvinists reformed. It's just a great tragedy of our times. What is this next section called the Comprehensive Summary Foundation Rule End? Norman, that's just the beginning of a longer sentence. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of fun to finish that sentence. The comprehensive summary foundation, rule and norm, by which all dogmas should be judged according to God's word, and the controversies that have arisen should be explained and decided in a Christian way. Back then, they believed titles actually should tell you what the content is going to tell you. And so when you get these books, they're title pages. The titles are a page long. And I would argue... There's, we've lost something in that. But rather than saying all that now in our parlance, when we refer to the rule and norm, and when you see it abbreviated, solid declaration, rule and norm, you'll even see S-D-R-N, and then they'll reference a paragraph. But this is the whole summary of how they're going to approach every single issue. This is the foundation they're going to build on. This is a guide by which all these issues will be decided according to God's word in a Christian way. So they want to establish the authority, the scriptural authority of what they're going to confess. Is that a good way of saying it? Yes, that is a number one foundation, the so-called scripture principle of the Lutheran Church. And we don't base these things, as they say in paragraph two of the Rule and Norm, they're not based on private writings, but on the kind of books that have been composed approved and received in the name of the churches that pledge themselves to one doctrine and religion. So this is nobody's personal writings that they're embracing, even though, yes, Luther wrote small and large catechisms, small call articles. They give Luther all the credit for the Augsburg Confession, as you probably noticed, and I, I would tend to agree with that. But these are not private writings by Luther or Melanchthon or anybody. They rise above that when they are officially approved and received by groups of churches that say, yes, we agree, this is what God's Word teaches. We're talking about the solid declaration of the Formula of Concord with Pastor Paul McCain on this Friday afternoon. They also believe that the unity of the church is at stake, and they're very clear as to what they think that unity requires. We'll talk about that next. 
After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and there he fasted for forty days, and Satan came and tempted him. And whereas we have fallen to temptation time and again, Jesus did not. Read the March issue of the Lutheran Witness to learn all about fasting and temptation. Read about how God called his people to return to him with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And learn about how Jesus gives us his perfect obedience in place of our sin. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org witness. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. Looking for a foreign language program that will revolutionize your students' vocabulary knowledge and their understanding of grammar? How about a program that teaches critical thinking skills, too? Look no further than Memoria Press's Latin curriculum. Students of all ages can use these Latin study programs. Give your students the gift of Latin today. To order, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next order by using the coupon code LPR20. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Concordia University Chicago is committed to keeping college affordable for all, and especially for LCMS Lutherans. We have scholarships available specifically for students who are LCMS members. This is Dr. Russell Dawn, president of Concordia Chicago, asking you to encourage your student to check out Concordia Chicago at cuchicago.edu. And if you are interested in supporting these scholarships, please find us online at foundation at cuchicago.edu. Continuing education for the confessional Lutheran. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethany Lutheran, Naperville, Illinois. Emmanuel Lutheran, Dearborn, Michigan. Grace Lutheran, McPherson, Kansas. Emmanuel Lutheran, Hamilton, Ohio. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Peace Lutheran, Filer, Idaho. Redford Lutheran, Redford, Michigan. St. John Lutheran, Schaumburg, Illinois. St. Paul Lutheran, Unionville, Michigan. And Trinity Lutheran, Valonia, Indiana. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click support, donate, and print the one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking with Pastor Paul McCain, General Editor of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, in our series on the Lutheran Confessions about the summary, rule, norm of the solid declaration of the formula of Concord. Paul, they make a very strong statement about the unity of the church when they open up this section of the formula of Concord. What do they say about the church's unity? Just that it's absolutely necessary for us to be united when we present the gospel. We can't have one man saying, well, you're saved by works and faith, and another one saying faith alone, 
and so on and so forth. So in order to have this unity, we set forth these clear explanations and expositions and summaries of what the pure doctrine is, and then we agree together to teach these things. We pledge ourselves to teach them, not just to you know go along to get along, but because we are all convinced this is what the Word of God teaches. We agree to it because, not insofar as it agrees with God's Word, but because it reflects properly what Scripture teaches. They believe that these things must be confessed, not simply privately, but publicly and consistently. Why is that? Yes. Uh, in other words, you can't say, well, okay, publicly I'll go along with this, but privately I will say something different. That's a false confession. That's a, that's a lie. And it's so important for the people whom our pastors serve and to whom they preach and whom they teach and the babies they baptize, the grandmas and grandpas they bury, the people they minister to at the deathbed, on the sickbed, in the nursing home, in the hospital, the people they counsel one-on-one, the people they go to to help them with the pure Word of God. Our folks must have the assurance that when their pastor comes to them, this is what they will be teaching and preaching and nothing else, because this is what they, the laypersons of the church, insofar as they've come to know it according to the small catechism, this is what they have pledged themselves to, and they're confirmed. They promise not to deviate from this solid doctrine of the Lutheran confessions, even in the face of death. So this is serious stuff. This is this is a matter of life and death. We're not playing games here. We're not, you know, picking flavors in an ice cream store. This is this is essential to our salvation. What special role does Martin Luther and his writings play here? Well, it's very interesting that, again, as I say, if you go through the formula and circle every time Luther's name comes up, they are appealing to Luther constantly, not simply because, you know, rah-rah Martin Luther, the way they describe him, a precious man of God. Luther, Dr. Luther of blessed memory. Dr. Luther himself has given necessary and Christian encouragement about his writings. And they say, we will accept Luther's writings, but only as Luther himself told us they should be accepted. In other words, they appealed to Luther's preface from the um, uh, Latin edition of his works, where Luther says, when these writings agree with Scripture, you're not agreeing to follow Luther, you're agreeing to follow the pure doctrine. But Luther does play an extremely significant role in the Lutheran confessions and in the formula of Concord. He is clearly seen, he's described elsewhere as the chief teacher of the churches of the Augsburg Confession. And again, not just because Luther was such a great heroic man, but because his teachings accurately teach what God's Word conveys. So what should we say about Luther as chief teacher of the church? Are we attaching to him personally some kind of authority next to the confessions and and Scripture? No, and this is a dangerous thing, and we should simply follow the, uh, the way the formula describes it. Jumping to paragraph 9, they say, In the pure churches and schools of the Augsburg Confession, Luther's public common writings have always been respected as a sum and model of the doctrine that Luther has admirably pulled together. They say that specifically about the small and large catechisms. But elsewhere, they describe the importance of Luther's writing as helping us. Now, this is not to say, this is very important, when they appeal 
uh, and they do. They basically say, for further information, we will refer you to Luther's doctrinal and polemical writings. And we know what they are. They're very easy to locate and find, and they do appeal to them. But only, again, only insofar as Luther's writings themselves conform to the Word of God and these other received confessions of the church, which means this, we simply cannot cite Luther like some kind of great guru, and every opinion he uttered is somehow sacrosanct among us. For one thing, we must, and we have as a Lutheran church body in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in 1983, uh, we distance ourselves dramatically and you know, said very publicly, we reject the harsh statements Dr. Luther made at the end of his life about the Jews. So that's, you know, we don't accept those. He was wrong. He was just either old and cranky and bitter, and he said things he never should have said. Recently, I've seen Luther quoted in a Lutheran discussion group somewhere to the effect that if you're feeling depressed, you just need to drink more. I mean, that's the way people have tried to interpret his words. You know, those comments are private observations by Martin Luther, and frankly, he shouldn't said he shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have, in my opinion, he never should have said sin boldly. That's been uh, taken out of context and spun out of control. We only accept Luther's writings, which have been commonly received, his great doctrinal writings on the Lord's Supper, for instance. Those are appealed to in Article six of the formula of concord elsewhere his other writings are appealed to so it's very it's very important for us we you know we call ourselves lutherans and it would be easy for us most of all lutherans to think every word that you know every word that flowed from his quill pen is somehow inspired that is not the sense in which we appeal to luther they then and this is a great little history lesson it's kind of like a book of concord within the book of concord they then starting with scripture and i want you to establish that principle again that they do hold to scripture alone but scripture is never alone and then they go through the other documents that have been assembled over the last 50 years or so yeah that's a that's an interesting observation it's like a little a little tiny book of concord within the book of concord and it makes sense because this this uh, series of paragraphs and you can find them on page 508 of the Concordia edition, paragraphs three and following in the rule and norm itself, they provide a description of the, as I've always put it, the sources of authority in the Lutheran church are ranked. Number one, uh, it says first, and the Latin adds, first, we receive and embrace with our whole heart the prophetic and apostolic scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the pure, clear fountain of Israel. They are the only true standard or norm by which all teachers and doctrines are to be judged. That's the bottom line. This does not mean, however, obviously, or else we wouldn't have this whole book of Concord, that it's the Bible only and always alone and nothing else is ever used. That is not the pattern we find in the early church itself. That's not what our Lutheran fathers did at the time of the Augsburg Confession. And, of course, the formula then says, and now it's necessary for us to say these things. But nothing is taught that we cannot establish from the clear Word of God. If the Word of God does not support it or sustain it or teach it, if that's not the foundation, that has no place in the church. And you know, my story of the polluted water, again, think of that when you see this phrase, the pure, clear fountain of Israel, this pure, clear truth gushing out of the Word of God. They go on to talk about the ecumenical creeds, and that's often missed when people look at the 
the yeah. Book of Concord, yeah. that it begins with the historic confessions of the faith. They're actually included right. in the book. Yeah, they just, in paragraph uh, four, says, in ancient times, the true Christian doctrine in a pure, sound sense was collected from God's word into brief articles or chapters. Therefore, because that happened in the second place, so you say first scripture, second ecumenical creeds, in the second place, we have the three ecumenical creeds, Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian. They're described as glorious confessions of the faith, brief, devout, founded on God's word. All the heresies that had at that time arisen are clearly and irrefutably answered by these creeds. Boom. So they, they basically take care of about 500 years of church history right there. They go on to talk about in the third place, we have the work of as described, the faithful service of the precious man of God, Dr. Luther, and he's described as the one by special grace through whom God has brought the truth of his word to light again from the darkness of the papacy. And it's interesting here, they're talking about the Augsburg Confession. They say, according to the word of God, this doctrine, Luther's teachings, has been collected from his writings into the articles and chapters of the Augsburg Confession against the corruptions of the papacy. Therefore, we also confess, and this is very important, the first unaltered Augsburg Confession, not the one that Philip Melanchthon kept editing over and over and over to the point that even Calvin said, yeah, I agree with that one. This is the first unaltered Augsburg Confession. That's why many old German uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran churches will have on their cornerstone UAC, the unaltered Augsburg Confession. This is not because, I'm quoting again from the Confessions, this is not because it was written by our theologians. We confess it, and here's the word, because, quia, it has been taken from God's word and well-founded firmly in the word of God. Going right back to the very first statement, the scriptures alone are the foundation, pure, clear foundation of Israel. So they then embrace the Augsburg Confession. It's interesting here in this uh, paragraph. By this confession, the phrase here in English, our reformed churches. So the word reformed can be applied to our churches as well. Our reformed churches are distinguished from the papists and other rejected sects and heresies. They talk about the apology to the Augsburg Confession as well. What do they say? Right, and they just lay it out again, in the fourth place. So you got, again, levels of authority, one, two, three, and now four. The apology was composed, published, and printed in 1531 regarding the proper and true sense of the oft-quoted Augsburg Confession. And they say, we unanimously confess this apology also. Not only is the Augsburg Confession explained by the apology as much as is necessary and guarded, but it is also proven by clear, irrefutable, testimonies of Holy Scripture. And if we just move on, in the fifth place, they claim and confess, quote, the articles composed, approved, and received at Smallcald in 1537. These are articles Luther wrote in preparation for what they thought was going to be the beginning of an ecumenical council at, at Mantua, uh, which actually didn't take place until years later. But in preparation for what they thought was going to be an ecumenical council, Luther laid it out. These are things, as they say, quote, the cause and reasons are indicated as far as necessary why we have abandoned the papistic errors and idolatries and can have no fellowship with them. They also explain why we do not know and cannot think of a way for coming to any agreement with the Pope on these points. 
And of course, in the small call article, Luther gives brilliant summaries of what we teach about the Lord's Supper, most importantly, the doctrine of justification. So then they move from, and by the way, I should say, Todd, sometimes this confuses people. When they refer to the small cult articles here, they are including the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope. That was uh, regarded as an appendix to the small cult articles. There's a whole history behind that. But the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope is included when they refer to the small cult articles. So there are those, those documents. Then they go right into probably, if any but he has a favorite part of the Book of Concord without even realizing what's in the Book of Concord. It's Dr. Luther's small catechism and his large catechism, as they say, as they were written by him and included in his works. They have been unanimously approved, there's that word again, and received by all churches holding to the Augsburg Confession and have been publicly used in churches, schools, and homes. And it's interesting, that little phrase, churches, schools, and homes, is basically guides our work here at CPH when we think about who are we making these resources for? Churches, schools, homes. Furthermore, the Christian doctrine from God's Word, this is a quote, is put together in them in the most correct and simple way and explained as far as is necessary for simple lay people. So, and then they give this excursus, they go on to say, but we're also going to appeal to Dr. Luther's doctrinal and polemical works, and we've covered that already, you know, insofar as they agree with God's Word, we don't accept everything Luther said. Pastor Paul McCain is our guest. We're walking through our series on the Lutheran Confessions today, the Solid Declaration of the Formula of Concord, talking about the summary, rule, and norm Pastor Paul McCain is general editor of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. We'll talk about other useful books and what role they may play next. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Lutheran Federal Credit Union serves the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod community with car and personal loans, mortgages, credit cards, checking and savings accounts. Lutheran FCU supports LCMS organizations with its Spotlight Ministry program, and Lutheran Federal Credit Union allows you to make purchases with Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Samsung Pay using your digital wallet. Learn more at lutheranfcu.org. Good for you. Good for the church. Lutheran Federal Credit Union. LutheranFCU.org. Sanctifying your vocations with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. I'm delighted to be chairman of Preach the Word Project, a project of our synod to strengthen the preaching of all of us pastors in the synod. We know how eternally important that is. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Carl Fikencher talking about the new Preach the Word Project. So we've put together a program of 
12 modules that will be coming out this year and over the next three years on a variety of preaching topics for pastors to do together with two other pastors, two guys they trust, two guys they feel comfortable with, written materials and very fine video quality materials that are now becoming available. Preach the Word helps pastors work together to improve their preaching with several resources and by interacting with seminary professors and fellow preachers. Find out more at lcms.org slash preach the word. lcms.org slash preach the word. Preaching is challenging business. We all can use some fresh ideas. lcms.org slash preach the word. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin talking about the summary rule and norm of the solid declaration of the Formula Concord in our series on the Lutheran Confessions with Pastor Paul McCain. He's publisher and executive director of editorial for Concordia Publishing House based in St. Louis. Paul CPH has produced the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March. See My Savior's Hands. Tell us about it. Well, we all love Pastor Whedon when he teaches us about Jesus. And this book is uh, just so beautiful, where he walks through all the times when we can think of, you know, even the stories where Jesus is using his hands. And Pastor Whedon does a beautiful job for children explaining how they can always come to Jesus Christ. They are in his hands. He blesses them with his hands. He gives us so many things from his hands. His hands were pierced for our salvation. His hands were shown to prove he had been resurrected. This is a great book for children. It's an absolutely stunningly beautiful book by Pastor Whedon. Find out more about See My Savior's Hands at our website, issuesetc.org. It's a children's book from Concordia Publishing House. Or you can give them a call and order one as well, 1-800-325-3040. Ask for the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, 1-800-325-3040. Okay, Paul, there's a section here called Antithesis or False Doctrines in the Disputed Articles. What does it contain? Yes, this is so important. If we don't have this clear in our mind, we can confess the truth all day long. But as they say in paragraph 14, this is on page 510 now, it is not only necessary that the pure, wholesome doctrine, there it is again, pure doctrine, wholesome doctrine, be rightly presented for the preservation of pure doctrine and for thorough, permanent, godly unity in the church, but it is also necessary that the opponents who teach otherwise be reproved. And then they cite Luther. Faithful shepherds, as Luther says, should do both things, feed and nourish the lambs, and B, resist the wolves. Then the sheep may flee from strange voices, and they cite John 10, verses 5 to 12, and they may separate the precious from the worthless, Jeremiah 15, 19. So we have to understand, as they were going into this process of resolving these disputes, there were two sides here, of course, as always, even on how they were going to deal with this. One side said, no, 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 just assert the truth. And at first, Jacob Andrea made the mistake of thinking if we could get everybody just to agree to the least common denominator assertions of truth, that would be enough. That was rejected. That proved futile. You have to reject the specific errors. However, you don't have to name the individual advancing the error. This is how they were able to get people to agree to all this who 
still held Philip Melanchthon in very high regard, and he always was held in high regard. And they were very sensitive to, are you going to come out and blast the great teacher of Germany by name? No, the decision was made, let's stick to the issue. So that's why in paragraph 15 it says, we have thoroughly and clearly told one another the following. A distinction should and must by all means be kept between, and we've covered this, unnecessary and useless wrangling. This church should not allow itself to be disturbed by this, since it destroys more than it builds up. But when the kind of controversy arises that involves the articles of faith or the chief points of Christian doctrine, then false opposite doctrine must be reproved. We do this... And it says here, the aforesaid writings, all the documents that they're, uh, they're citing as authorities, these documents offer the Christian reader who delights in and has a love for the divine truth clear and correct information about each and every disputed article of our Christian religion. They show what he should regard and receive as right and true, according to God's word of the prophetic and apostolic scriptures. They also show what he should reject, shun, and avoid as false and wrong. Why? So that the truth may be preserved distinctly and clearly and distinguished from all errors. I'm just going to keep reading this so clear. Nothing must be hidden and concealed under common words. That's such a dangerous thing. When people take words that are well known to all of us, okay, we know what they mean, we've used them for centuries, and then all of a sudden you hear somebody using one of these words but packing it with different meaning. And I frankly hate that. I Sorry, that's a strong word, but I, I, I hate it. I hate it when people feel a need to be so novel and so new they try to either invent new words or use well-known words to teach something else. They, they might be right, but just don't do that. So what they say is, we have clearly and directly declared ourselves to one another on the chief and most important articles taken one by one. Finally, with about a minute here, we've noticed this before in our long series, that they're writing for posterity. They know they're writing for posterity. People like you and I will be talking about this in the centuries to come if Christ does not return. And they want to be very, very clear. They're not going to waver one little bit. What are your final thoughts there? Yes, this is the spirit of confession that animates the entire book of Concord. In the Concordia edition, the whole book begins with this wonderful quotation from the end of the Solid Declaration, which we'll get to eventually. They simply say this, This declaration, talking about this confession and all the documents in the book of Concord, this declaration is our faith, doctrine, and confession by God's grace. With intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession. Intrepid hearts, indeed. What would motivate them to do this? This is the truth of God's Word, the truth of Jesus Christ that is for us men and for our salvation. Pastor Paul McCain is publisher and executive director of editorial for Concordia Publishing House based in St. Louis. He's also general editor of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. Paul, thank you. Thank you, Todd. God bless. Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology and research through conferences, scholarly exchanges, and publications. Learn more about the worldwide mission work of Luther Academy at lutheracademy.com. Serving Lutheran pastors and lay people to the ends of the earth, lutheracademy.com. Up next, we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, talking with Dr. Carl Fikencher about peace with God through faith in Romans chapter 5. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay with us. 
Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to eighth grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road. Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We are what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org. Hey, Todd, what have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com, thecleaningauthority.com.